Hi, I'm Grant Armstrong, and I get to serve as directing pastor here at St. John's United Methodist Church in Edwardsville, Illinois. We exist to make disciples of Jesus Christ for the transformation of the world. Our desire is to be a beacon of faith and service, focusing our passions and gifts to reflect Christ's love to the world. You are invited to join us each week at 9 a.m. for a time of traditional worship or at 11 a.m. for contemporary worship. Thanks for joining us for this online version of the sermon. Our scripture reading today comes from the book of John, chapter 6, verses 27 through 59. But don't be so concerned about perishable things like food. Spend your energy seeking the eternal life that the Son of Man can give you. For God the Father has given me the seal of his approval. They replied, we want to perform God's works too. What should we do? Jesus told them, this is the only work God wants from you. Believe in the one he has sent. They answered, show us a miraculous sign if you want us to believe in you. What can you do? After all, our ancestors ate manna while they journeyed through the wilderness. The scriptures say Moses gave them bread from heaven to eat. Jesus said, I tell you the truth. Moses didn't give you bread from heaven. My father did. And now he offers you the true bread from heaven. The true bread of God is the one who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. Sir, they said, give us that bread every day. Jesus replied, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never be hungry again. Whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. But you haven't believed in me even though you have seen me. However, those the Father has given me will come to me, and I will never reject them. For I have come down from heaven to do the will of God who sent me, not to do my own will. And this is the will of God, that I should not lose even one of all those he has given me, but that I should raise them up at the last day. For it is my Father's will that all who see his Son and believe in him should have eternal life. I will raise them up at the last day. Then the people began to murmur in disagreement because he had said, I am the bread that came down from heaven. They said, isn't this Jesus, the son of Joseph? We know his father and mother. How can he say, I came down from heaven? But Jesus replied, stop complaining about what I said. For no one can come to me unless the father who sent me draws them to me. And at the last day, I will raise them up. As it is written in the scriptures, they will all be taught by God. Everyone who listens to the Father and learns from him comes to me. Not that anyone has ever seen the Father, only I, who was sent from God, have seen him. I tell you the truth, anyone who believes has eternal life. Yes, I am the bread of life. Your ancestors ate manna in the wilderness, but they all died. Anyone who eats the bread of heaven, uh, bread from heaven, however, will never die. I am the living bread that came down from heaven. Anyone who eats this bread will live forever, and this bread which I will offer so the world may live is my flesh. Then the people began arguing with each other about what he meant. How can this man give us his flesh to eat, they asked. So Jesus said again, I tell you the truth. Unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and you drink his blood, you cannot have eternal life within you. But anyone who eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life. And I will raise that person at the last day. For my flesh is true food, and my blood is true drink. Anyone who eats my flesh and drinks my blood remains in me, and I in him. I live because of the living Father who sent me. In the same way, anyone who feeds on me will live because of me. I am the true bread that came down from heaven. Anyone who eats this bread will not die as your ancestors did, even though they ate the manna, but will live forever. 
He said these things while he was teaching in the synagogue in Capernaum. This is the word of the Lord. It was in 1965 that the Rolling Stones released one of the most famous hits recorded at Chess Studios in Chicago, Illinois. Keith Richards was apparently in a bit of a stupor when he came up with the riff to what Rolling Stone magazine refers to as the second best rock and roll song of all time. Fortunately, he recorded two minutes of the general rough song before he was recorded also, then dropping his pick and then snoring loudly for the next 40 minutes. Mick Jagger penned the lyrics while he was sitting beside a pool in Clearwater, Florida. That doesn't seem like the kind of place that would inspire lyrics to I can't get no satisfaction, because honestly, it seems like hanging out by a pool in Clearwater, Florida would be an entirely satisfying experience for me, but my tastes are simple. I know what the problem is, I think. See, it was in 1930 that Frank Mars invented a candy bar named after his favorite horse, Snickers. The Rolling Stones were a UK-based band, and up until 1990, the Snickers candy bar was sold in Great Britain under the name Marathon Bar. Now, from 1965, it would be 15 more years before the Mars Candy Corporation would proclaim in their advertisements packed with peanuts, Snickers really satisfies. So I think the answer to the lack of satisfaction was right under Jagger's nose the entire time, and he just didn't know about it. Think about it. If somebody had passed Mick a Snickers at the poolside from the vending machine in 1965, we would have missed out on the second greatest rock and roll song of all time, and John Lennon's Imagine would have taken its place. It seems a little bit like the plot to the movie Yesterday, and I promise you it's every bit as plausible. But even before the Stones rocked the culture with their song of longing, people have struggled with finding real satisfaction. And despite their claims, it's even more than the mighty Snickers bar can handle. And that leads to our first lesson this morning. Temporary things will never satisfy us like an eternal God can. Temporary things can't satisfy us like an eternal God can. Jesus is teaching, don't be concerned about perishable things like food. Spend your energy seeking the eternal life that the Son of Man can give you. For God the Father has given me the seal of his approval. The people replied, we want to perform God's works too. What should we do? And Jesus told them, this is the only work that God wants from you. Believe in the one who he has sent. Believe in the one he has sent. If you've watched the devastation resulting from this past week's tornadoes that ripped across Tennessee, or you've been seeing the destruction happening under the shadow of war in Idlib, Syria, you've seen the fleeting nature of material possessions and things. I visited New Orleans after Katrina. I went to Joplin after the tornado. I was in Liberia as they were recovering from years of civil war. And you can see the scars of destruction all around. But you can also tell that when people begin to recover, their perspective is just different. It's different. They recognize that even though these material possessions, these things held value and meaning in their lives, it's the relationships and people that are most important. It's the people that they value most. And we have a, a new driver in our household. She is responsible as she's learning to drive on a permit. It's actually a joy to be able to sit in the passenger side of the vehicle and cruise along and offer a little bit of insight along the way and try not to gasp or hit the invisible imaginary brake pedal on my side. We actually do really quite well. But I know the statistics. 
I know that one in five drivers at the age of 16 within their first year of driving will end up in a motor vehicle accident. I remember when I was 16, and within the first year of my driving, I was in my very first motor vehicle accident. And it was me following a car that had to turn left in front of me, and I pulled out without checking to see if there was any oncoming traffic, thinking that they had cleared the way for me, and there was oncoming traffic slammed into the front right fender of my 77 Olds Cutlass. It didn't total the thing because it was built like a tank, but it was undrivable, and I was horrified. I was horrified because I knew I was at fault, and I knew that I was going to be in big trouble for causing damage to this car. This was not a, a right, it was a privilege. <clears throat> Excuse me. And I knew I was going to catch all sorts of trouble as a result of that. I was sure that my parents were going to be angry because of the repairs that were required and because of my irresponsibility. And so when my folks finally arrived at the scene, I braced myself for how upset they were going to be. But you may know what happened because perhaps you've heard similar words if you were in a similar circumstance. As they arrived on the scene, what they told me was, things can be replaced. Your car can be repaired. But you can't be replaced. We're just grateful you're okay. That's important perspective. I learned something very important about safe driving that day. Number one, don't have Bobby Brown turned up too loud in your stereo. Don't assume that because another car passed in front of you that you had clearance, but I also learned some very important perspective about what was of true value. The folks who were following Jesus were part of the crowd that experienced a miracle the day before, a full-on miracle recorded in all four of the Gospels. They were hanging around the shores of the Galilee, listening to this famous and authoritative rabbi preach and teach, and then Jesus borrowed some child's snack and went ahead and prepared a feast that fed and filled the bellies of 5,000 men, the scripture tells us, and that's not including the women and children that were present at the event as well. All of that, and then there were baskets of food left over. These folks who were following Jesus in the Galilee were impoverished. They were materially poor, and they were legitimately hungry. None of their friends could materialize a feast for thousands out of one meal like Jesus just did, and so they figured they'd hitch their wagon to this guy for a minute. They were hoping for another meal, maybe a lot of other meals. Maybe Jesus would feed them like that for as long as they hung around. Who knows? Well, Jesus knew what the crowd was wanting. They wanted to fill their bellies, and they started to look at Jesus like a cat looks at somebody with a treat bag as a means to an end. They wanted Jesus to be their meal ticket and their gravy train, and though they would have been perfectly happy with that arrangement, it's not why Jesus came. The miracle of filling their bellies was not the big deal. The big deal was that it proved Jesus to be the one that the Father sent into the world to save the world through trusting him. People didn't see it that way. They saw Jesus as a vessel to fill their hungers and desires, not realizing that he is the ultimate fulfillment of their hungers and hopes. Our second lesson this morning is this. The temporary gifts of this life are meant to point us to the foundational gift of Jesus. These temporary gifts are meant to point us to the foundational gift of Jesus. The crowd answered, show us a miraculous sign if you want us to believe in you. What can you do? After all, our ancestors ate manna while they journeyed through the wilderness. The scriptures say Moses gave them bread from heaven to eat. Jesus said, I tell you the truth. Moses didn't give them bread from heaven. My father did. And now he offers you the true bread from heaven. 
The true bread of God is the one who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. Have you ever been deprived of something that's really fairly silly and gotten upset about it? I recently had occasion to take a 10-hour flight from Vienna to Chicago, which in itself is a pretty incredible thing. The only trouble, other than the slightly elevated concern about the spread of disease and the constant reminder of my own mortality that is air travel, is that this flight across the ocean didn't have any sort of internet access. You couldn't buy it, you couldn't bribe a stewardess or a flight attendant to be able to get it. There was no way other than just being disconnected for 10 hours. Now that could be a great relief, right? No worries or hassle, just relaxing in a sky chair for 10 restful hours. But instead, I was a little frustrated that I couldn't play my trivia game or check in on Twitter and Instagram during the flight. They fed us really good food on the plane. There were hours of entertainment on that little seat back screen that was right in front of me. But no, I was put off by not having this little thing that I wanted. It messes with our gratitude, doesn't it? We start to feel entitled when we become uh, cut off from certain conveniences. And when that's gone, we're thrown. But that's probably good for us from time to time. To set aside some of the things that we think we can't do without, just to remind ourselves that, in fact, we probably can do without. There are days when I hand Amy my cell phone and tell her to only give it to me if it appears that there is an emergency. There are seasons when I'll abstain from eating or fast for a couple of different reasons, none of them having to do with diet. Fasting, going out without food for a while, is a helpful way to adjust our focus. It's one of the reasons why so many Christians throughout the years have participated in some act of abstinence or fasting over the season of Lent as we are preparing for Easter. I know for a fact that even when my stomach rumbles during those days, it's not because I am undernourished. Through a spiritual practice like fasting, I can remember that even an essential part of my life like food is good, but it's a gift from God. And when I ask him to, Jesus can satisfy those brief moments of temporary craving. I remember to thank God for the gift of nutrition and abundance. And I ask God to help me understand what it is that I need apart from food in those moments. It's a way to identify with Christ in his time of fasting in the wilderness in preparation for the temptation he was going to face and for the initiation of his public ministry. I've never personally gone without food for 40 days, but after I miss a meal or two, my weak and whiny body starts to feel like I did. And so it makes me appreciate what Christ has done all the more. The people who were making demands of Jesus were, in fact, hungry people. They actually did need the nourishment that God offers. But based on their reference to the miracle of manna, they didn't understand the nature of God's provision and the relationship that it's meant to build. See, in the time of Moses, the Hebrew people were liberated from slavery and they were complaining about the bread that God was sending to feed them. Every morning, the ground was basically coated in something that was probably a little bit like frosted flakes, and the people whined and complained about the quality of the food. They griped about everything, frustrated with the God who set them free in order to establish a relationship with them. And so God sent poisonous snakes to bite them as a way to help them understand the impact of complaining and whining. That's a true story. They wanted better provision, but they didn't really like the way that God provided. 
And the folks following Jesus asked him to repeat this miraculous provision. They wanted the gift more than they wanted the giver. And it seemed like little had changed in their lives since the time of Moses. Maybe little has changed still today. There are plenty of folks who want the riches and provisions of God's abundant generosity that comes with being a part of God's kingdom. It's just that maybe we prefer it in exactly the way we want it without any strings or instructions, please. But the best that those gifts can do for us is to point us to the one who is actually the satisfaction of the void in our hearts. Our third lesson this morning is to find satisfaction The bread of life is meant to be sought and enjoyed every day. The bread of life is meant to be sought and enjoyed every day. Jesus says, I tell you the truth. Anyone who believes has eternal life. Yes, I am the bread of life. Your ancestors ate manna in the wilderness, but they all died. Anyone who eats the bread from heaven, however, will never die. I am the living bread come down from heaven. Anyone who eats this bread will live forever, and this bread which I will offer so the world may live, is my flesh. What's going to satisfy our lives? What is it that will satisfy us? I watch political pundits argue with one another about the policies and philosophies they believe will help bring about a more just and prosperous society. I see commercials and ads that promise greater convenience and happiness in my life if I will just purchase their product. I've got access to a wide range of websites who will deliver all I need to my doorstep. And we're probably not too far away from a service that will pre-chew your food for you and drop it in your mouth like a mother to a baby bird. If it were my invention, I would call it mouth mash or tuber. And it would be a huge success once people get over the fact that it's absolutely disgusting. Even still, do you think that people will be satisfied? I don't think so. I don't think people will be satisfied unless we connect with the Savior who we are designed and hardwired from the time we are imagined to connect with and to glorify. I don't think we get satisfaction unless we're pouring out our hearts in worship and renewing our minds through encounters with Scripture, aligning our spirits with God through prayer, and giving our lives outward focus through service, maybe also by connecting with others through fellowship and through our invitations. We cannot be satisfied until we live a life that is centered on Christ. And once we have that, we get to spend each day letting it be an opportunity to deepen that connection with Jesus in ways that Jesus desires for us. And some of you have already developed a habit and pattern of seeking out the daily bread of Jesus Christ through times of devotion and prayer, and you've discovered that you experience a greater peace and a deepening faith because you feast on Christ's daily bread, not just once a week or a couple of times a month, but each and every day. Some of us are just considering what it would be like to start And these habits and practices of seeking Christ seem overwhelming, overwhelming, but we're willing to begin. And it's as simple as starting somewhere. Maybe it's as simple as putting a post-it note beside your bed so that when you wake up in the morning, you read the word pray. And you can start your day by just saying, God, thank you for a restful night. Thanks for allowing me to wake up this morning. I'm grateful for a fresh beginning and a new start. Lead me in your love. Help me to know the way that you would guide me. And God... Give me forgiveness for when I'm wrong. Amen. And then you go on about your day. It's a simple way to begin with your heart and mind set on Christ. 
Maybe you're trying to begin a daily habit with scripture, and maybe it's just by simply picking up one of the upper rooms devotional books that we keep in the hallway, or maybe it's by going out and buying a devotional and being able to spend time with that. If not daily, then you know you just have it nearby, and you can get a little bit of scripture into you. Most of them don't dive too deeply, and so even if you just get a couple of verses and a reflection to get your day going and get your mind set on that, it makes a difference. Maybe you're trying to deepen your worship life, and so it's as simple as changing your morning listening habits. So you might generate a playlist of either hymns or Hillsong or something like that so that you are trying to begin your day with an attitude that's full of praise. And you start to do crazy things like sing along to the lyrics in front of your family, and they look at you funny, but you find that your heart is just overflowing with gratitude and joy for the God who loves you. The important thing is we get to begin something to have that daily enjoyment and experience of daily bread, the bread of life. We get to let God take us deeper into that experience of Christ. And even if you're not poolside in Clearwater, Florida with a Snickers in hand, we can still find that for the ultimate desires of our hearts and our lives, that Christ can truly satisfy us. Bread of life. You satisfy like nothing else can, like nobody else possibly could. Lord, the deepest longings of our hearts you have planted within us. So we pray that you would lead us to turn to you. When our stomachs grumble, when our minds are distracted, when we lose our focus, when our hope is waning, when we need forgiveness, we find our satisfaction in you. Lord, All that we could ask, hope for, and imagine, you are greater still than all these things. We thank you that you have invited us into this relationship, that you've given us means to feast upon this bread of life, and that as we spend time with you, our longing is satisfied, our hearts are fulfilled, and we get to experience that joy today and through eternity. Thank you for all this. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.